Welcome to the Startup Business Q&A podcast with Richard Moore. Episode 184, a little bit later, it's a bit of a late show today, uh, and this is episode 184 of the live show every Monday, normally uh, five hours earlier than this, but we're doing it today at this time because I've been traveling across the country. I did dabble with the idea of having uh, like a pre-recorded one, uh, but in the end I thought, why don't I just do it a bit later? The world will keep turning if I have a later one, I'm sure. So. Uh, let's see how it goes. What it means, of course, is that those who typically are team replay, uh, they get to watch later. Uh, they got to watch, you know, typically later on in the day. They can watch it first, you know, firsthand as it happens uh, right now. So I'm really excited about that. So those on the West Coast, those on Mountain Time, you get to join in uh, for once rather than watch the replay when everyone's kind of already been in, involved in themselves. So uh, hello to everyone on LinkedIn. Hello, everyone <clears throat> on Facebook. Hello, everyone on um Instagram as well, watching you all uh, pile into the platforms right now. I'm just doing a bit of housekeeping uh, on Facebook. So the topic today is an AMA. It's literally ask me anything. You can jump in with any questions you like. I've got a bunch of questions from you already. So thank you very much. Those of you who sent that. Hello to uh, Christian De La Rosa one on Instagram. Hello also we run one. Sorry, we run wild one uh, on Instagram as well. Hard names to deal with. I'm going to check over on um, LinkedIn as well, just check that everything's running smoothly. And um, uh, in terms of an up-to-date or two, there's a couple of things to announce. Firstly, we're about to announce Miami Entrepreneur Business Live on the 16th of April. We're going to announce the panel very soon. I'm really excited. This is one of the best panels we've ever had. This is going to be a big event to uh, easily north of 100 people. We're looking at a capacity of 180. Uh, in eight, was it one, between like three and a half short weeks time, we'll have um, Atlanta kicking off with Heather Parody on the 27th um, of February. So if you have um, uh, yourself in Atlanta at that day, make sure you jump in. We'll also have Entrepreneur Business Live uh, London returning on March 4th as well. More announcing that soon. That'll be on sales. I will be there. So I'm not at Atlanta. I will be at um, uh, London. I will also be at Miami as well. And more coming through the pipeline. If you're watching right now, then you are part of Team Live. So put in the comments for me. Hashtag Team Live. Also add where you're watching from. So we've got Amani Vernescu from Cyprus. Good to see you watching on Facebook. Chad Ever. Hey, Richard. Chad from Detroit. Good to see you here as well. Chad's like, Chad, I think Detroit's what, six hours back, so easy to watch this one. And it's weird, like, it's dark here. I've driven 500 miles in the last few days, and um, <clears throat> I'm definitely getting a bit ill. Uh, but it's been nice driving, having a few days off with the family. You know, you have Christmas, then you have a month, and you need to have something to focus on. So we always have a little holiday, and uh, been up in Manchester seeing friends and family, which has been marvellous. So it's nice to be back. Uh, I got back a few hours ago and I thought, let's do a later um, start a business Q&A. So and ask me anything. You can ask me any question you like. Uh, Neve Slama, good to see you joining in here on Instagram. Uh, Rafa Torgas here as well. Thank you very much for joining in too. Let's look over on LinkedIn, who's watching. Um, and uh, quite a few of you jumping in, which is awesome. Uh, Craig Smith, do you know anyone who'd like to sponsor a NASCAR, NASCAR driver? personally know I, I'd like to be one. I'd be a fun job, I think, but I don't think you're looking for that right now. Um, something to think about. If anyone does know someone who'd like to sponsor a NASCAR driver, get in touch with Craig Smith. 
Uh, Anthony uh, Zavellas, Team Live from Toronto. <clears throat> also, Richard Croft, Team Live from Minnesota. Uh, Craig Burns, Team Live from Team Live from Laguna Beach. So we've got some interesting places in the US uh, who are awake who can watch this, of course. Uh, another one joining in, Emily Ann Valilia from a uh, Team Live from Tampa. Craig Smith is from Milwaukee. Uh, Angie McQuillan, let us know where you're watching from. Uh, and Christopher Ritchie, hey man, love your posts. I appreciate it. And strong surname, uh, Christopher, with Christopher Ritchie. Um, let me know where you're watching from as well. Uh, I think there's a question in there already. Robert Ty, what's the best software to use for stripping video and audio for vlog and podcast, PC, not Apple? Well, firstly, congratulations on choosing PC over Apple. It means you're in the winner's enclosure with, along, along with people like myself, Robert. Um, what's the best software to use for stripping video and audio for vlog and podcast? I'm not the best qualified person to ask this because I just outsource it to a guy who does it instead. I understand from Dan Norton, who works with Disney, who also is the guy who does all my video uh, production, that there's a version of Skype, some pro version, uh, Robert, where you can have... Um, it does separate audio and video streams, uh, as in channels for you, so it's not just one thing, you can have them separate. Which means, of course, if you're recording, for instance, a chat with someone, you can, and someone, you know, scratches their nose or rustles the microphone, you can, you can mute that part, so things like that you can do. Maybe worth checking that out, I'm unsure, uh, but Dan Norton's my man for that. Brandon Stewart, nice to see you here. Boom, hello Richard. Uh, Virgie Van Horst, broker realtor. Uh, good to see you here from Westlake Village. Shout out as well to those of you listening on the podcast. That will be Team Replay. So if you're watching this late, uh, later on, your hashtag Team Replay. Uh, but uh, there's little excuse because basically the, the, those that are fast asleep right now are, are like, you know, the Galapagos Island, Islands and, and, and so on. So most of you should better watch as Team Live. Krista Mullion, I use Zoom and it strips audio and video for free. Uh, same, uh, Krista, same for me. Uh, Amani Bernescu, nothing beats PC, it's so user-friendly as opposed to Apple. Let's not start a fight, Amani, but you're right. Okay, so let's get into questions. Uh, thank you for everyone jumping in with lovely comments on LinkedIn. First question, I know she's watching right now, so I will use hers, uh, from Elizabeth Westbrook. Richard, for me, mission, vision, and business plan are core to survival. I love the typo. By the way, your typo was bore to survive. I really don't think you meant it, but core to survival. It is a good question. Uh, is it a good question for startups? Do they understand the value of these things? I think a lot of folks just start working and think that something's going to happen. I think sometimes they forget to build the structure underneath, the foundation from which to work. I think you want my reflections on this. <clears throat> Here's the thing. I've worked with startups for years now, working with those who are maybe, you know, already a little bit, maybe they've got some, some funding or something like that. But also those who are literally at the cusp of beginning. And what's fascinating is that there are very few, but there are some types of startup where a robust business plan and sense of direction makes sense. Um, I do say without question that it makes sense to have some general kind of sense of direction about what you're doing. So milestones and objectives are a reasonably good way of going. But be clear that if you spend the first hours, days of your, of your startup building your business plan, you're potentially into, tr into trouble there because you've not done anything practical yet. And invariably, so almost always, my experience with startups is that they tend to need to be agile. 
because stuff's gonna happen and no business plan is ever followed entirely unless you're very good at building redundancy in. So there is a little bit of balance required here, Elizabeth, and I think it's an interesting question you bring up. You can totally overdo business plans and missions and things like mission statements and so on. It's intelligent to get down, you know, what your values are, what your main ethos is, things like, um, you know, what's the essence of your business? So what's the crucial part that's going to give you integrity? And remember that as your start point. I posted about this um, uh, day before last on, on LinkedIn, the crucial part of having a sense of what your culture is going to look like and stick into that when you have decisions and so on. But the truth is within two, three weeks, stuff changes so fast and there are curveballs all the time, which is part of the exhilarating thrill of running a startup is that you have all these things being thrown at you and often you find that the business plans are great on paper but reality is is a different kettle of fish so for those that are very experienced with doing it there is um value in running a business plan probably and the irony is that those who don't have much experience should have a sense of direction as in let's try and achieve these milestones in this amount of time but be prepared that almost definitely it will be wrong. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be done because you need some sense of direction. The huge error, and as, as Elizabeth has rightly alluded, is, is that a lot of startup will begin with no sense of direction and just kind of hope that things work out. It's not, it's certainly not a good way of doing things. Like, what are you trying to achieve? Why are you wanting to do it? One of the most cliche things people love to say is what's your why? And it's good to have a sense of why are you bothering in the first place? What's the point of this whole thing? In, you know, why, why are you building it? What's the real core belief you hold that's making you want to run this business in the first place? And it's not money, it goes deeper. When you have that down, it can give you a sense of, of direction. And then it's a case of, you know, what do we want to achieve here in the first three months and so on? Make sure you go big, make sure you're ambitious and push yourself and so on. But it's crucial to remember that that plan will typically be wrong. Why? Because you don't tend to know how things are going to work out. But it is good to give you a sense, a general sense of direction. OK, so if I didn't have sat nav today coming you know driving up the country if i didn't have any kind of maps i would know loosely at least this is a good analogy i suppose loosely at least that i need to go north and i kind of i could work it out from road signs right i could kind of work that out but if i overdid the planning stuff goes wrong road works crashes i need to break because i need to go for you know uh, a coffee halfway or something like that so there's always going to be stuff thrown against you so it's an interesting one let us know what you think about startups should they have a business plan i feel they should have a general sense of direction too much business planning is the um is the world of the over planner and not the action taker this is why i'm very very cautious here because for those that like to procrastinate to suggest that they do a business plan is another excuse to not take action. OK, so you should have a sense of direction. What's the point of what you're doing? But depending on the business, obviously, for many, they need to get on with it. And it needs to be as simple as engage with people and sell your minimum viable product for a bit and then and then get the ball rolling, because what you're doing there is getting product into hands, you're getting market feedback as well. And then you'll move to a place where you're like, do you know what? We can feel if we need an iteration here, or we can feel if we're on the, on the right kind of general direction. Now, what does the next three months need to look like? So sometimes you need to play on the pitch a bit before you have more of a tight 
uh, sense of direction. This is about agility through action. It's a really important way to, to, to start with startups, but that's not for everyone in the sense that not every business should have that approach. It, it, the difficult thing here is that some people naturally love to jump in and take action and some extreme versions of those types of character end up having trouble because they're jumping around too much and they need to kind of give themselves some routine. So again, a general sense of direction. I call it lines of work and lines of focus. So what I did when I started my, my startup originally was I had a line of work, generally speaking, what is the work I, I do, okay? Then I had a line of focus, which is more immediate time term, what's the thing I'm doing right now? And I always make sure I stick to my lines of work and lines of focus, because that way I don't kind of go off piece too much and get distracted by shiny things. But like, just to reinforce, there's the other end of the spectrum, people who love to be distracted and procrastinate and the suggestion that they might write out more business plans or go on a course about running a business is dangerous for some people because it's another excuse to not get on with their work and to focus on put and delaying things. And people like that, some of the extremes really shouldn't be starting a startup because actually they might end up uh, uh, in a world of pain because they've not done taken any action. It's a very difficult question to answer and that's why I've tried to be balanced there. But in the main, what I've found is that those that, over, that, that plan too much are the ones who actually don't want to take action. They're using it as an excuse. I feel that a general sense of direction, so something loosely akin to a business plan makes sense, but expecting to know what's going to happen in the next <clears throat> weeks and months is, <clears throat> is nigh on stupid because too many things will happen. Uh, Ian Tisco here on, on Facebook has said, I agree loosely, depending on how lost they might be and how long the trip is, quite right. So it depends on so many different variables here, which is why having something of a guide, coach or mentor to generally nudge in the direct, right direction to begin with, I think is a very good, a, a very good approach. But I would say that, wouldn't I? Because it's the kind of thing I do. Okay, let's check, check over on, on LinkedIn. Um, <clears throat> Elizabeth Westbrook has added, very true for procrastinators, at least have a sketch, I agree. Some kind of spider diagram, at least. Richard Cruft, the forklift operator, said, I have an invention. I wasn't sure how to develop it. I submitted the uh, idea to a company named Davidson. They specialise in the process. Uh, I'm questioning if this was the right thing to do. What people should I try to get involved in the process? Difficult, Richard, because it depends on how much you want to be involved and what your skill set is. There's a really good book by a guy called um, William Salman, I think it is, S-A-H-L-M-A-N, um, and he uh, wrote a book called Managing Oneself, like a pamphlet of 50 pages, really quick. It's a really good book at making the point that you need to be aware of what your strengths are and your weaknesses and stick to your strengths. And it lends itself to this idea that if you've got the idea, it doesn't mean you should run everything. It might be that you need a commercial guy. It might be that you need a CTO. You've got the idea, but you need someone to build the thing, right? And, and so on. So it might be that you need to get some people on, on, on board to help you out. The question really for you is, what are you good at? Some people are good at conceptualizing uh, and, and ideation, and it stops there. Some people are great at selling. My wife, for example, and I were talking about this morning, she's amazing at, at organization. She says, if something is color coded, if something needs organizing, if I, if I would need, if I need to like organize receipts or put things into files, 
that I'm in heaven, she said, but she's a lawyer. And we're very different in that respect. So it's the things she's into are kind of different. Okay, so what are you good at? That's the question. And then what do you need to therefore compliment you? Few people are awesome at everything. Okay, uh, so it's important to bear that in mind. Ian Siska's added Peter Drucker. It might have been Peter Drucker. Um, I don't think it was. I don't think it was, but I may be wrong. But it's a book called Managing Oneself. Um, Thank you. That's a really good point there. Um, let's move on to the next question. It's an AMA today. Ask me anything. Uh, it's a bit of a later one. So uh, I'm, this is a little bit of a test as well. The reason why it's late by five hours is because I was driving down the country with the family. And obviously I wasn't going to do no Q&A. That'd be absurd. So it's been, and, it's, and this week is three and a half years. So thank you. Uh, um, that's closing on 1,500 questions we've answered uh, uh, in 184 um, uh, live shows every week now. So obviously I wasn't going to drop the ball because we're so consistent with this. I was going to pre-record something, but I was like, just do it later, it'll be fine. And um, it's nice because it means that it's not five o'clock in the morning, West Coast. It's actually a, a, a palpable uh, a bunch of you who are, who are actually watching because you're up and out of bed. So that's awesome. Gerline herself. I want to shout out Gerline's on the team. Uh, she's uh, one of the admins for the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook. So if you're not part of the group, there's 4,200 people in that. It's been running since 2015. All of the Entrepreneur Business Live events stream for free in the free group. So it's absurd to miss it. Atlanta, 27th of February, run by Heather Parody. Uh, Joy McAdams is going to be speaking there. You know, you've got Randall Blizzard. You've got uh, Joel Pilgard. They're all going to be there and um, Heather Parody running it, you get to watch the speakers for free in the group. It's absurd to not join it. And Gurleen's one of the admins to help with that. It's her birthday today. So on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram, can you post happy birthday in the comments? And yes, you can use emojis if you choose. Happy birthday, Gurleen. Here's your question. Uh, and by the way, in, in Instagram, she's rejection warrior because she focuses on, on handling rejection as, as one of her uh, services. She's over in Seattle, so she can actually watch it today because uh, it's a sensible hour for you. So I hope, uh, hope you appreciate that on your birthday as a gift from me. Galina has asked, Richard, I need ideas for my website banner image. Many of my favorite personal brand websites have the person speaking on stage or something. I don't have such social proof, so I don't know what type of photos to get professionally taken. If you have one professional photo taken, it should be a headshot. Obviously you need more than that ideally, but if you have a headshot, it's a good start. Headshots should be your face, just your face, okay? Not you million miles away, the face and maybe shoulders, so that people, when they meet, you know what you look like. If it is part of your brand to wear Casey Neistat style shades, well then fine. If it is part of your brand to have something on your head, then fine. But otherwise have a headshot. It's helpful and useful. It's practical for those who are seeing you. Someone once told me, I think it was Lila Smith, who's awesome at thinking of these kind of things too. She said, banner images and, and, like, and a kind of... Um, cover images for websites, especially banner images, because she was talking about the, the cover image or background image for, for uh, LinkedIn. She said, it should reflect what you want people to pay you for. And I said, and I, and I, I really agree with that. And my view on it, if you, it, there's a direct parallel here, parallel here, Gerline. If you look at the background image on LinkedIn, you've got your headshot already, that's your profile pic. It should never be a company logo. It should be your profile pic of your face. The background, you should almost set yourself a challenge. Imagine I wasn't allowed to use words. What would I have 
to describe what I do through images. So if I'm a photographer, well then, cameras and stuff like that, right? But the nice thing is you can, through whatever artwork package or app you're gonna use, you can use text. So put in there a little bit about what you do. Um, calls to action are a good idea too. This is if it's a LinkedIn uh, cover image. You can have things like, um, you know, uh, uh, follow me or I do this for these, a good way of putting it is like, I achieve this outcome for these people or sets of people, so your target audience using this service, okay? So you could say, um, I generate business leads for startup business owners using video content, if that's what you do. So you're giving them a very tight clarity on what it is you offer. Now, you're talking here specifically for a website banner image. So what I think you're talking about here is something along the top or perhaps even your, your homepage. If you, don't have, um, if you don't have you speaking, then have a headshot and then surround it, in my opinion, surround it by things that suggest the kind of stuff you do. If you are a professional speaker, or rather if you, you're planning to be and you have no photos of you speaking, well then you need to do some gigs. I know you don't, Gillian, so I can say this, but you, know, you need to go and do some gigs. Go and speak for free, people do it all the time. If no one will have you, so organize your own event. Seth Godin famously said it, it's like, if, you're wait, if you wanna have a TED talk and no one's invited you to do a TED talk, so just organize your own event. Why does it have to be a TED talk? It doesn't matter, right? So, so organize event in a month from now, tell everyone about it, get eight people in the room and a photographer and get photos of you, talk, you know, doing a, you know, a talk and there you go, there's your first one. So these things could be generated quite easily, but for you, headshot and images of stuff that suggest what it is you do and want people to pay you for. That's a good start in my opinion. It's not my space entirely, but that's what I would do because that's intuitive and obvious. So hopefully that helps. Um, and you just uh, commented here on, on Facebook. Thanks for the shout out. Watching this live is a great birthday present. How about that on someone's birthday watching Startup Business Q&A? It just goes show this matters. Okay, so thank you very much. Um, Justin Simitz, I think it's how you say it, owner at Flying J Media. Where is the best place to find clients for a website design business? Well, those people who need websites tend to be those who are in some way commercializing themselves, okay? Or want to broadcast themselves. So if someone's trying to commercialize themselves, they tend to be more in a business space. There obviously are examples of those who aren't, who are wanting to vlog or something like that. Uh, sorry, blog themselves and things. So I would say naturally it makes sense to engage with people on LinkedIn, um, uh, Justin, because they're, they tend to be more in a business space. So you're looking there for maybe groups where it's people who are starting out as business owners. Another idea, something I've done a lot in the past, is use advanced search on Twitter. Twitter's wonderful because it's what people are thinking of in the moment, okay? If I've just um, overindulged at Christmas and now I'm worried about how um, I'm gonna be really unfit in January, Twitter, classically, is the kind of place where I will just comment about that. Obviously, I might be other places as well, but classically in Twitter, that's where people are like, oh no, eaten too much, now I need to get a personal trainer. So if I was to go advanced search on Twitter and search in the last 24 hours who are those for those who have used hashtags or wording to do with needing a personal trainer, what would the hashtags be? There might be hashtag, um, you know, overindulged uh, or hashtag 
help, uh, or, you know, and, and the word PT or personal trainer or body or whatever. And now I'm getting people who are literally right now in the moment talking about needing something. I did this years back. I remember when I was like, I want to do some guest blogs. It might be a good idea to write elsewhere as well as my own website. So I went to, I went to Twitter and wrote guest blog in advanced search. And I found a bunch of people that in the last 24 hours have had written, does anyone want to guest blog on my website? So, like everyone out there is they're screaming out. And so no doubt, Justin, if you go to Twitter, you could probably search on LinkedIn using the content search function um, as well. It's one of the filters. I think it might be just a premium thing. But, um, you know, for instance, on Twitter, you could say in inverted commas, um, uh, anyone know a great web designer? I think about the whole world that is the Twitter, Twitter users. Some people out there will be writing stuff like that. Half the people out there don't get listened to. So you're the knight in shining armor. It's like, I'm one, let's talk. Easy leads. I don't know why people don't do it because people like to share like what they're thinking in the moment. So I don't know if any of you tried that. Thumbs up if it makes sense, but that's what I would suggest. It's a really good way of starting. Uh, Brian Durex watching from Miami. Um, uh, he's talking about in Miami, Team Live Miami. Good to see you here. <clears throat> uh, Daniel Barnes, friend of mine is looking to start a clothing brand. Best three tips. Yes. I know loads of people who have started little things like this. The biggest problem, Daniel, is that these people don't have any um, uh, distribution. And I don't mean of their clothes, I mean of the fact they're there. Okay, obscurity is their biggest issue. The biggest problem is that no one knows they're out there. So job one, obviously get some samples, but job one is to start telling people, share that you have it on social, okay? Even if you're not ready to sell yet, warm the audience up. Then get people to start wearing the clothes. And if you haven't got any money, go to, because people love free gifts, okay? If you, if you go to influencers who are huge, they're gonna want money and they don't care about free gifts, they get them all the time. Go to someone who has 4,000 followers who won't get free gifts, <clears throat> but is a bit of a lifestyle brand, and, uh, and say, for a shout out, can I give you this thing for free or something like that? What happens is they love it. They love the free gifts. And what you can do is start getting some distribution that way as well. So I'd be using influencers. Number one is looking at getting your social distribution. Number two is using influencers as much as is possible. And number three, if you have any budget at all, what I would suggest, um, is that you, you spend it on content ads. So instead of, hey, buy this stuff, it's ads about this, uh, the kind of the vibe of it itself. So any content, so just post about how cool it is, distribute that um, wider than just the reach you organically get by using ads. Um, it's a really good idea because ads can be a big kind of waste of money unless you're epic at, at that process. But it's good to put money against content because that way um, it's more likely to be shared and, and, and engaged with, in my opinion. So hopefully that helps a bit. Um, Richard Playfair, prices displaying services and web pages. Use round figures, £2,000 or not, 1997. So what he's saying here is, should you use £2,000? pounds or should you use 1997 the psychology behind pricing is an interesting thing there's a book called smart pricing uh, by uh, Raju R-A-J-U I'm looking at it now and Zhang Z-H-A-N-G called smart pricing very interesting book on it but the idea the, the idea here behind Richard Playfair's uh, point is that a round figure 2000 pounds 
is essentially the same as, for example, £1,999. But the reason why often you get that rounded, rounded kind of a, a pound taken off or a dollar taken off is, for instance, 99 cents instead of a dollar feels like less. It starts with a one, for example, uh, you know, if it's in terms of £2,000, it's 1999 it starts with a one. So it feels like less. We all know it's the same amount, but subconsciously it's something different. There's science that says if it ends in a seven, which is why you see a lot of marketers, including me for some of my courses, um, with a seven at the end, so $97 instead of $99, the psychology is that the brain focuses on that last number a little bit more. And again, no one's being duped here. You, can, you know consciously what the number is, but it feels a tiny bit less expensive. I know it is less expensive, but it feels like it's not that much, even though it's essentially the same price. So 1997 feels considerably less than 2000, okay? And the feeling is what you need to have um, people lead, or, or let me rephrase it, the feeling is what people are going to lead with. So it makes sense to kind of tune into that, that in the right way. Ultimately, does it matter? Not really. Um, uh, if someone's going to buy your service, they're going to buy your service. The art is in the warm-ups before, so they lean in and decide they want your service. It's a very interesting topic of conversation, and you'll see a lot of marketers use the, uh, the, the seven at the end, for example. There's nothing wrong with it. If it works, it works. But, you know, you should be split testing, in my opinion. Um, I'm, I'm increasingly rounding my numbers now. So, you know, $400 for a phone call as opposed to three nine seven um, because I've found it actually hasn't made that much difference. So it's an interesting uh, uh, topic of conversation. Uh, let's go on to a couple more. Um, Rene F. Well, hello and welcome from sunny Los Angeles, California. Good nice to see you here. Everyone who's watching right now, if you just joined in, uh, this is obviously a bit later and it means that West Coast can join in. So put in your comments for me now where you're watching from, so what city you're in, and hashtag team live if you're watching live. If you're watching later, then hashtag team replay. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see who's been able to watch live uh, from the West Coast. Next question, and thanks so much, uh, Gurleen. A happy birthday to you. Brandon Stewart, who I think is watching on LinkedIn right now. We've got LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. <clears throat> has asked, I'd like to know your top three business books and why they are your favorites. Let's all do this. This is a really good idea because so many people can put um, new books in that we don't know about. So if you have a top three books in business, stick them in um, the comments here. I'm going to give you four because it's my show, uh, but also going to give you four because there's an additional book I want to give you, uh, Brandon, that isn't a business book, but I think it's an important one. So firstly, the first three, I would say, <clears throat> the, my favourite biography, you've got to excuse my coughing, I'm a bit um, hoarse at the moment from air conditioning in a hotel up in the, up the, up in the north. So um, first but without question, my favourite biography is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight of Nike fame. Um, the reason why, you've asked for why, is because it, it shows how by the, at the end when there's the IPO and they become very, very rich, um, it's the climb that they enjoyed the most. And he said, you know, and it, I felt, I think he said something like, and I felt nothing different when I suddenly made all this money through the IPO. Um, I, in fact, uh, just wished I could have done it all over again. So it really is an important book for, for recognising that. But it's just such a great story about the guy's grind, you know, taking the, his, um, the athletic spikes. Uh, this is in the 70s. Uh, and selling them out of the boot of his car, wearing them to athletic meets. Like, you know, really embodying it and doing what was needed. It's a really great book. He's such a good guy. Um, second one is still, a, it's already a classic. It's a great book. 
is um, Brad Stone's The Everything Store. I think up, up here at the top above my head, if you can see it on Instagram, is um, The Upstarts, which is a very interesting book about Silicon Valley, Valley um, unicorn businesses uh, and much more recent. But, but The Everything Store is about Amazon uh, and it was written probably four years ago. However, um, I really like how it talks about those early years and very much a push to really doing what was needed by Jeff Bezos and the team there and really understanding the, 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 the idea of driving to the point of customers first, often to the detriment of their own team, as one way of working. So I found that quite interesting. I, if you're not ready, you really should. I, th I think it's um, just, it's already, already a classic. And um, third one uh, is, I'm a big fan of behavioral psychology. That's because I focus a lot on sales and understanding people. And I'm not a psychologist at all, but I've spent a lot of time around people over the years, um, selling to them, engaging with them and doing business with them. And I think my favorite book in this space, or there's millions of them, is up about here somewhere. Um, is um, Why Beautiful People Have More Daughters by Miller and Kanazawa. Um, I think um, I, I've had it a couple of years now and it's, it's like loads of little chapters about why people work in certain ways. It's kind of like, um, uh, what's the book? Um, so I can't remember the name of it now. Um, it'll come back to me. There's a book about um, uh, Freakonomics. That's the one. It's, it's kind of like Freakonomics, but about behavior and why people work in a certain way. So I find it interesting. I think that's a really good book too. But the fourth one I was going to add, Brandon, not necessarily a business book, is On the Shortness of Life by Seneca, who's obviously a, um, an ancient philosopher. But that book uh, is really valuable in getting the right perspective about what time you have or rather don't and therefore how to kind of organize yourself. So anyone not read those, I strongly urge you to um, and actually, if you go to therichardmore.com forward slash books, I think they're all on there. So you can you can check out reviews and, and click on to Amazon. Really good question. Thank you, Brandon. And if you want to add you lot uh, watching right now, Facebook, Instagram and, and LinkedIn, if you want to add your three top business books, please post them in the comments. I believe personally, really interested to see uh, what you come up with. Uh, next question, Mirav Levine, just racing through because of time. Mirav Levine has asked, Organic content versus paid content. When should a business start putting money towards Google or Facebook or LinkedIn paid ads? Like basically, if you do these ads right, they will A, increase your distribution and B, potentially increase your sales. There's, there's literally no downside to more of the right people seeing your business, okay, and what you do. So there's literally no downside to that. The only downside to doing ads, the only downside is if you aren't good enough at using ads to the point where you screw it all up and you, you don't get a return in, in, you know, in terms of what you're trying to achieve um, on your investment, then you're wasting money. That's the only reason why you wouldn't do ads. And the, the way I look at it though is even if you kind of don't get conversions, as in if you're trying to sell something directly through ads, you're still targeting a certain demographic probably. And that therefore means the awareness of you in front of the right set of people is probably increasing somewhat. And so even then there's a win in my opinion. M my way of looking at this is, is that there is a only upside with doing ads because it allows you to tap into this amazing database of, of um, people on all the platforms you run ads in. So 
use them? And, and the, the, to answer your question directly, when should uh, a business start putting money towards them? If, when you can afford to, you know, and you don't have to spend much, you can spend $10 a day. And these, these platforms are falling over themselves to give you, to give you like free 20 quid, uh, you know, to, to kick off for a month kind of incentive. So jump in and use them because I think, you know, if you've got a great piece of content, why wouldn't you distribute it and get more people aware of you? Because in terms of the sales approach and the funnel, if you like, top of funnel is content really is a really good place to get the volume of people looking at it. And sure, organic, strong, but why wouldn't you pay a little bit and get it in front of the right, right thing, right, right set of people? That really makes a difference. So I, I would say use it right away and you could probably afford a little bit of money here and there, but don't expect it to suddenly change your world. And my experience with ads is that even the best people always are rightly saying, look, this, you know what, this takes a bit of time to warm up. Okay, it takes a bit of time to get the right people looking at you. And um, don't expect suddenly to not have to do any work and you just be rolling in cash. It tends to not convert so well. But I do think ads, as in money, against content and value-based posts, as opposed to, hey, buy my thing kind of post, are, are far better in terms of uh, use of money, in my opinion. So good question. Emily and Valilia, uh, and also Jedi Hill, uh, both ask similar questions. But Emily's is, please share your expertise in social proof. And social proof is an example um, uh, of someone else saying or vouching for you and saying this is good. So testimonials is a good example of social proof. Um, how does uh, an, a startup acquire it without starving or is ramen soup simply a part of startup life? <laughs> um, look, first gigs for free. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. And it's so much. It's hilarious. People are being so noble about absolutely not working for free. Sorry. If you're not world-class instantly and you need someone to already um, to kind of give you testimonial and you're good enough, so offer it for free. If you can't, or another way of looking at it is if you can't get paid work, don't sit there stubbornly waiting for paid work. Do some pro bono because then you'll get some return. And the return is simple. I, you know, work for someone for two weeks for free and stipulate that at the end of the two weeks, whatever, however it goes, two things happen. One, you get a testimonial, there's your social proof. And two, you have a discussion to explore how it would look if you work together as, pay, as, as paid. And that's the, the best way of working when you can't get a client to start with. And the reason why is if you're good enough, then you'll get what you deserve. As in, if you're good enough, then someone won't be able to live without you. This is how I started my consulting. A couple of people, I was like, I'll just do it for free then. And then after two weeks, they're like, yes, I can't live without you. Let's jump in and uh, let's, you've changed me enough. Let, let's continue the coaching. And they're happy to give me a testimonial. If I was crap, well, then I don't deserve paid work. And I don't deserve testimonial worth, worth posting. Simple as that. So I need to up my game or pivot to something I'm better at. I, I think that's totally reasonable. Um, so that's that's my opinion on that. Um, I think it's like I say, if you deserve it, people will pay you, and if you deserve it, you'll get a testimonial. But if you simply can't, you know, get any kind of social proof, uh, testimonial for free work can work. But there's nothing wrong with going to friends and family, and saying, you know, on LinkedIn, for example, could you write me a recommendation and vouch for my character? Because people haven't worked with you before, fine. But you know what I'm like. If you think I'm a good dude, would you write about that at least? It's something. I think one thing to be aware of is that testimonials 
aren't the be all end all. Your ability to convey that you're good at what you do matters a lot. Testimonials help because ultimately referrals from other people, oh, you've got to check out Richard, he's really good at this thing. It's wonderful because then you get inbounds. That just makes life a little easier. But you know, you can run a business without it without question, okay? And that's just that's a fact. You just got to remember that it's not an excuse. If you're not getting any any love, you need to sometimes try a bit harder with your selling. Okay. It's not the reason why you're typically if you don't have testimonials or any social proof, it is not the reason always why you can't get any business often it's you're not trying enough to uh, pitch new people for example a similar question here but slightly different jedi hill out of facebook has asked um how do you position yourself as an expert when you don't have testimonials let's be clear i've done this one before expert is a subjective term is a perspective that people have of you for some you are an expert for others you are not for some, as, chief, as CTO and engineer and like chief engineer for SpaceX, Elon Musk is, a ex, is an expert in rocket science. For others, like those who like are gods of rocket science, he's not. Okay, so it's an expert. Is expert is a subjective thing. Um, to my young daughters, I'm an expert at playing guitar. To almost anyone on the planet who knows how to play guitar, I am absolutely not an expert in playing guitar, for example. So it's a similar kind of thing. It's perspective and it's a relative term based on the, 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 the kind of the perception of the people, the person who is observing you. So let's look at this question again. How do you position yourself as an expert when you don't have testimonials? I said all this about the definition of expert because the best thing to do Forget testimonials, is just share. So my articulation of some of the answers to these questions each week and these live shows, um, some people will roll their eyes and go, he has no idea what he's talking about. Cool. Other people will look at it and go, he does know what he's talking about, and that's sufficient for me to reinforce that I think Rich is an expert at that thing he just talked about and therefore they're more inclined to, to buy my services. So to position yourself as an expert, don't pretend or flex. The thing you feel you know a lot about, so share the knowledge that you feel you know a lot about. That's as simple as it gets. If you want to position yourself as an expert, show us you're an expert then. So write content if you're scared of video or do audio or hop online, do a live show, do video, whatever, share what you know. And that way we'll be we'll, we'll start the, the market will decide. Basically, you'll end up with an audience saying this guy's an expert who knows their stuff or they'll say they just won't say anything, which is a code for he's not an expert. But basically you end up deserving people coming to you saying, you know what, I, I really think, I, I dig what you're talking about. And that's one way of look, looking at it. Don't lean on testimonials as the be all end all. There are some people who feel they are everything. Of course, you can leverage great testimonials, but they're not the reason why you will or will not get business. They are great to augment your position, but that's not everything, okay? So it's just one, one important point on that. And uh, there's one last uh, question here from Daniel Nunes, who's watching on Facebook as Team Live over in Phoenix, seven hours back but we're late today, later today at six o'clock UK time. So you get to watch, what is it, 11? It's all coming up to 12 o'clock for you now. So thanks for joining in, Daniel. What are some indicators for scaling up and bringing in new people? This one's really simple in my opinion, because obviously every business is different. But if you need them, and if you can, then bring in new people. 
if you need, I've said need, not want. If you need new people, and if you can hire or pay, you know, a freelancer or Upwork, or whatever to do it, then do it. Because time is obviously important to you. If you can automate and outsource, you should, especially those things you don't need uh, to be working on, to make sure that you're focusing on the thing you do best, okay? Don't take yourself entirely out of the equation. You should do the stuff you, you do really best. That's your strength. You know, maybe it's being the people person. Maybe it's the sales guy. Maybe it's actually something in the back office and having someone else out front, okay? Whatever it is, you need to focus on that so other people can look after other things. So if you need them, and if you can, then it is the right time. But being clear here, because some people want someone to help them, uh, for a number of reasons. And I know some people who will get, for example, a virtual assistant to flex, as in to show off that they have a virtual assistant. I've seen it so much. And it's astonishing how much mo a lot of people don't need a virtual assistant. And sure, it saves them a bit of time here and there. But when they don't have anything for that virtual assistant to do, they don't need a virtual assistant. I know some people who have got one because it, because they get to say, oh, I'll just get my assistant to do this. And it's like, what is this? You're showing off, basically. There's no need for it. So is it an interesting thing? Bringing on new people should be you saying, getting a piece of paper and writing down, like, what are the things I do each week? What are the hats I wear, the tasks I need to be done? And I need to make sure that gets covered. Really good example, I mentioned him recently in a post last week, is Dan Norton, who looks after the team who does the video production. That gets outsourced. I can do it, I'm all right at it, I even enjoy it, however, takes forever. It take, doesn't take forever when you get someone else to do it who has all the kit and is really good. And if he has a headache, it's his problem. He gets paid to do that side, and that's what he's an expert at. So I needed it. I didn't, I kind of wanted it, but I needed it because I was becoming, it was a big old bottleneck in getting things done because I massively was getting like, I haven't the time, I haven't the time, I haven't the time. Mona uh, Nairi is a great example as well, who, uh, amongst a few others, who has really saved me a lot of time. We have a weekly newsletter, therichardmore.com forward slash newsletter. It goes out a bit later on today. The newsletter is all of the latest goings on in the marketing and business and digital um, uh, marketing space and social media space, all the latest developments, plus a digest of some of my latest content. It's really a great thing to jump into. Uh, it's free. Uh, and she's the key researcher behind that. And she also does a number of other things with me with Instagram. And that's all a time saver. I really needed this person. She's very reliable and amazing what she does. And so, um, so and I could, of course, so I paid. Obviously, if you can't afford it, you know, you've got you've to go, you go cover all the bases. That's the hard thing about a startup. You kind of have to wear all the hats to begin with. But as soon as you can, if it's an area you need help with, and if you can afford it, you probably should, is my opinion. But I'm a go-early, action-takey kind of person. Uh, so th that, that's my point of view. That's the point of this show, right? So that, that's what I would suggest. Hope that helps a bit. But um, uh, and oh, there's one last question that came through from Instagram from Lula Row Lose Pile, which is, "Do you sport?" Um, yes, I think I think what she means is, "Do I do exercise?" Um, so I, I used to be big in Taekwondo, and my um, that was my thing. I used to teach that, 
and this isn't asking anything show, I suppose. You can ask me stuff like this. I used to, um, yeah, I used to train Taekwondo each week. I went to fourth down, I was an instructor, had my own clubs. Um, but I stopped in 2018 because I rolled out Entrepreneur Business Live and needed the space. Uh, I gym three times a week. Thank you to Adam Mosley Fitness. Uh, he's my personal trainer and um, has actually been a bit of a good nutritionist. Actually, he's really made a difference. My, my, I haven't shouted out him enough for that, to be honest. Um, so Adam Mosley has been the reason why I suddenly got a lot fitter and healthier in the past year or so. Uh, so gym three times a week. Uh, I also had picked up squash last week for the first time. So I'm, I'm doing very well. I'm not too achy. Um, and I run as well. I'm a marathon runner, but I haven't done one, one for a while. So I've done that for a little, uh, I run typically once a week uh, for like an hour or so outside, not a treadmill kind of guy. So thank you. Good questions. Let's see if there's anything I missed over on um, LinkedIn. Carolina Mankowski from uh, Florida. Hello. Max Shrewbring. Hi there. Greasy Ruth, Richard Moore, I'm so glad you brought this topic. I don't know which one you're talking about, but um, whatever one it is, I'm pleased that you're pleased. Um, Rene F, hi Mauricio B, uh, and so on. Uh, and there's some great books being put in there as well. So those of you just joining late, put in the comments top three business books. Mine were Phil Knight's Shoe Dog, um, Brad Stone's The Everything Store, and what was the other one? Oh yeah, um, and uh, Miller and Kanazawa's uh, why beautiful people have more daughters. If you need to know, yes, I have two daughters. So what does that say about me, right? Thank you very much, everyone who's watching uh, today. It was a bit later uh, having the, the Q&A. Let me know, what do you think? Should there be a Q&A later on a Monday? <laughs> I will make the executive decision in the end. I, I kind of like doing it at one o'clock UK time, but I appreciate that is 5 a.m. Uh, West Coast. But like, get up, guys. What's wrong with you? It's Monday, you know. But, but equally, I appreciate, you know, whatever it is, 10 a.m. is probably a little bit more um, attractive to you. So let me know in the, in the comments. Thank you for watching the questions. So thank you to everyone who, who asked questions online. I've forgotten probably already. But Daniel, Jedi, Emily, Mirav, Brandon, Gurleen, happy birthday to you. Uh, and uh, Elizabeth as well. And I'll catch you all really soon. Thank you to those of you watching on um, Instagram and the uh, replay on IGTV uh, will be up very soon. Thank you, CLA.